Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Hey, good morning, Radiant Church. Good morning, Radiant Church. There we go. Church is a team sport, y'all. We need to do this together. We need to do this together. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. A few weeks ago, we started a brand new series, Walking Through the Gospel According to Luke. And one of the emphasis in this first half of the book is around the kingdom of God. And so we're going to build upon that theme and hopefully make it a little personal today. And so let me read just the last few verses of chapter 4 to set us up, tell you where we're going, and then I want to pray. Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43. When it was day, he, Jesus, went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. For a few moments this morning, I want to talk about the king who is near the King who is near. Would you pray with me? Father, God, would you help me to see your word in a fresh way, to speak your words in total submission, nothing more, nothing less than what you want said this morning. God, would you give me the unction to lead and navigate us through this text? Would you open our ears and soften our hearts so we don't just hear, but we are challenged to obey? and submit. May we leave this place, God, not just smarter, but more joyfully submitted to your purposes for our life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. You know, there's something about more that pervades our society more of something is sometimes a good thing, and sometimes it's not a good thing. You see, sometimes we get more than we bargained for. Sometimes we get more than we could have hoped for. I've experienced both of those in my brief time here on this earth, and I remember when I first went to the Citadel. Um, I wanted a college education locally, and God felt like he was leading me there, but I got more than I bargained for, amen? I just wanted to go to class and be left alone. Um, but I woke up at four o'clock in the morning getting yelled at by teenagers, which is an unusual feeling, feeling. Amen. That was a season of my life where I got more than I bargained for. Even when I joined the Marine Corps and did a little bit of time there, um, I went to go fight for freedom and do my job and do my duty. But I, I spent a lot of time cleaning in the Marine Corps. Everybody in the military said amen. Right. It was just a lot of cleaning, a lot of standing, a lot of waiting. That was a season of life where I got more than I bargained for. I I wanted something in particular, but I got a bunch of things associated that I did not want or did not like. But there are a few times in life, man, where you get more than you could have hoped for. I think about my wedding day, married to my wife, Jenny, um, and I knew it was going to be good. I knew I I loved her. I knew she was special. But as you have walked, we have walked together for almost 10 years now, we realized, like, man, I got more than I could have hoped for. A woman who's more patient, more loving, more kind than I could have dared dreamed. 
even as we've had our first, second, and now third child. And I know kids are good and awesome and fun at times, but then you experience the joys that can't be explained, the smile in a young person's face, the laughter that somehow makes you laugh. You don't even know what you're laughing about. There are times in life where you get more than you could have hoped for. And the kingdom is like that. Sometimes it feels like we got more than what we bargained for. Some of us just punched our ticket and we just didn't want to go to hell. And we begin to be challenged on it's not just about heaven or hell, but it's about living a life that's submitted. And sometimes it feels like it's more than what we bargained for. But today in the text, hopefully you see that through the gospel, through the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, that we as believers have gotten more than we could have ever hoped for. And that is a king who is near. Luke has been meticulously building a case up to this point in chapters 1 and 2 are parallel versions of John the Baptist's and Jesus' announcement of his birth and calling. And then chapters 3 and 4 are parallel passages of John the Baptist's mission to prepare the way and Jesus' mission, which we saw in verses 18 through 19 of chapter 4, that the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus speaking, has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Quoting Isaiah 61, Jesus says, that is what I came here to do. In chapters 5 through 9, we're going to see, or Luke is going to prove to us that truly the kingdom of God has a king, and his name is Jesus. He is Lord over all, and he's going to be Lord over the weather, and Lord over sin, and sickness, and even death before it's all done. And we're going to see clearly that Jesus is king, but I want us to see something else today. We're going to look at the various miracles in Luke chapter 5, and I want you to play along at home with me if you can. Or play along in your seats and see if you can see the recurring theme or the connecting theme in all of these miracle stories. Because Luke isn't just recounting details. The scripture tells us that Jesus did more things than can be even recorded in all the books in all the world. And so these events have meaning more than just telling what happened. The gospel writer is trying to paint a picture for us of who Jesus is and who we are in this story. And so see if you can see the connecting dot as we work along. The first miracle that we see is found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, a familiar story for some. Jesus was preaching to the crowds, and the crowds began to get so large that they couldn't see him on the seashore. And so he found a fisherman named Simon Peter and said, hey, Simon, let's borrow your boat and let's go away from the shore a little bit and kind of have a, a podium floating on the water where I can preach the good news of the kingdom. And after he finished preaching, almost as a way to repay Simon Peter in verse 4, He says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish so that the nets began to tear, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. What a great miracle. Peter made more money in one day in one fishing trip with Jesus than he probably had all year long. But Peter knew what was really happening. Look at his response in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man. Look at Jesus' response. 
in verse, at the end part of verse 10. She said, don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people or fishers of people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. See if you can see the pattern in verses 12 through 16. We see another miracle. A man who was cleansed from leprosy. It says that while Jesus was traveling, he saw a man with leprosy, and the man came up to him, fell face down, and begged him, said, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. And Jesus, reaching out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus didn't tell him to come follow me. No, he said, no, don't tell anyone about what has just happened. Go present the offering required according to the law for those cleansed of leprosy and go on about your way. Do you see the pattern yet? In verse 17 through 26, we see another healing. And this one is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It says that there was a man who was paralyzed. He was being carried on a mat by his friends. And so they brought him to Jesus because they heard about his healings in Capernaum, had heard about his his healings recently and said, we've got to get our paralyzed friend to Jesus because Jesus can heal him. Look at what the story says in verse 19, though. They brought him to Jesus, but since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So this is a side note completely unrelated to the sermon, but you need friends in your life like this. You need friends who would tear the roof off to get you to Jesus. You know, the interesting thing about this story is this Bible never really says anything about the paralyzed man, whether he actually believed that Jesus could heal him. But do you know that don't matter? Jesus didn't say he saw the man's faith lying on the mat. No, he saw their faith, the friends. And because of the faith of the friends, he was healed. Church, you need friends like that. And even when you want to walk away, even when you want to turn in the towel, even when you want to lose faith, they'll carry you in that season of life. Now, me be free of that. You ain't going to like it. You called your friend to vent. You called your friend to, to commit a gossip and sin on the phone, and they're going to call you out on it. But that's what true friends do. They point you to Jesus. And so seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven, which is interesting because I didn't think he was coming to get his sins forgiven. I thought he was coming to get healed. Jesus is beginning to pull back the layers of who he is. But the Pharisees, the the leading religious leaders at the time, they caught what Jesus said. And they begin to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, but perceiving their thoughts, they didn't even have the courage to say it out loud, but Jesus knew what they were thinking and replied to them from their thoughts, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up? And walk, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And that man went home praising God. Do you see any connection yet? Jesus calls a fisherman to follow him. Jesus touches and cleanses a leper. Jesus reaches out to a paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven and your body is healed. Go and worship. Verse 27 through 32, we call Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, the, the future disciple. 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. If you wanted a one-sentence definition of what it meant to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple, here you have it right here. The second time it's mentioned in this chapter, but in verse 28, this is the definition of what it means to be a disciple. Someone who leaves everything gets up and follows Jesus. Someone who opens their hand and says, God, you can take and put in anything you want. I want to follow you. And that's what Levi did. And not just follow him personally, he began to invite all of his friends. He hosted a party at his house with all of his former sinning friends and said, hey, you've got to meet this man, Jesus. But then attention begins to arise in verse 30, as it oftentimes does when you're hanging around sinners. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus replied to them, and this is Jesus making the connection for us if you don't see it yet. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Radiant family, I am extraordinarily encouraged, sincerely and genuinely encouraged, when people say things like, man, I love to see what's happening at Radiant Church. Oh, God is moving at Radiant Church, or God is moving in this ministry, or God is moving on this team, or God is moving in this outreach. And those are good and incredibly encouraging things to hear, family. But did you know that the kingdom of God is not made up of ministries, teams, or even churches? The kingdom of God is made up of transformed men, women, boys, and girls who are living their lives joyfully submitted to his rule and reign. So I'm encouraged when people say God is moving at Radium, but would really keep me up at night with excitement with someone saying God is moving in me. God is moving in my marriage. God is moving in my home. God is moving in my neighborhood as I walk the streets and pray for neighbors I don't even know yet. And I know many of you in this room aspire to that. You long for that. You pray for that. And yet it seems out of reach at times. And so let me break down one of the barriers for our participation in the kingdom of God on a personal level. And that is sometimes we don't think that we are qualified or worthy to be used by God. You see, we get that the kingdom is here. We get that the kingdom has a king, but we don't think that we are worthy to be led by the king. But did you see the reoccurring theme in all the miracle stories? It's not that just Jesus has power over sin and sickness and death. Yes, he does. Amen. It's not that Jesus calls those who are far from him near to him. Yes, he does. Amen. But look at who he called. And that, I believe, is the reoccurring theme. You see, he first called Simon Peter a fisherman. We knew him as an apostle, as a disciple, as upon the man that he will build the church upon, this confession of faith. That's how some of us may know him, but he didn't start off like that, y'all. He started off as a fisherman. And that doesn't mean anything to us. But we got to understand being a fisherman was an unclean business, was dirty work, and not just physically dirty, but the Jews considered it spiritually dirty work. You handled the animals that should not be handled. You consorted with Gentiles who were considered unclean. And so the fishermen were considered outside of God's mercy and God's grace, for they weren't keeping the law like the righteous Pharisees were. Look at the next story, a man cleansed from leprosy. And what was interesting in verse 12 of chapter 5, it says, when Jesus was in one of the towns, a man with leprosy all over him saw him and fell face down and begged him. But is that really how it happened? 
You see, in Old Testament times, which they were still operating under right now, a man who had leprosy could not live inside the city limits. That man was called to live outside of the city limits. And so how did Jesus see a man who should not have been in his way? Perhaps did Jesus go looking for this man? Did he himself go outside of the city limits where the lepers would be? It's a stretch, but not a far stretch, because look at how he healed him. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him. Did y'all catch that in verse 13? Jesus touched. Why would Jesus touch a leper? Now, leprosy was a kind of a, a bucket term for many skin diseases. But why would Jesus touch someone who has leprosy? That would do immediately two things. One, it would make him ceremony, uh, ceremonially unclean. And two, that would make him a violator of the law. And we know that Jesus has the power to command the demons and to speak healing without touching anyone. The Bible says that he would walk down the street and healing power would flow out of him. Some of you know the woman with the issue of blood who just touched the hem of his garment and was healed. So why did Jesus need to touch the leper? And the answer was he didn't. He chose to. We don't know anything about this man but you can only imagine the years since anyone had ever touched him. The years since anyone had ever looked him in the eye. And yet Jesus found him and touched him and made him clean. What about the man who was paralyzed? You see, Jewish understanding of sin and sickness was such that if you were born paralyzed, as this man most likely was, then it's something either your sin or your parents' sin caused this upon you. And that's why Jesus said your sins are forgiven first and not just you are healed because he was speaking to the crowd that this man is no longer an outcast. He's accepted because the sins has been forgiven. And then the call of Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, once again, that tax collector phrase doesn't bear the full weight that it does in Bible times, but if you were a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, you were the worst of the worst. You were a traitor to your people. You worked for the Roman occupying force. You took from your kinsmen. Calling somebody a tax collector was an insult. And yet Jesus didn't just speak encouraging words on his way by. No, he said, no, you come follow me. You see, one of the barriers for our participation in the kingdom of God isn't our ability. It's our qualifications oftentimes. We believe that somehow God can't use us like he uses that other person. God won't do what he did for me, what he did for them. And so I celebrate what God is doing over there, but God would never do that here. Because we don't believe that we have a king who is close. Jesus replied, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Church folks spend so much time stiff-arming the grace of God by trying to pretend to be healthy when we're sick, trying to pretend to be righteous when we need help. Because we've been taught that way, that we got to smile and pretend for an hour on a Sunday morning that everything is together, because that's what good Christians do. And we don't even know that we're saying, God, I don't want your healing power in my life. Some of y'all didn't grow up going to church, and I get that, but I didn't. I remember hearing mom and dad fight in the car on the way there, all the way, and then when they get out, we smiling and waving, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? 
I remember anger and bitterness in the office and then coming out on stage and pretending like everything's okay. I remember doing ministry with young people who are broken and struggling with the, the darkest of sins and feeling that if they told church folks, they'd be cast out. So they talked to unsaved friends and family because at least they'd find love and hope there. You see, we've created this idea of religion that pushes God away. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Y'all, if you are a sinner today, there is great news for you. If you are sick and broken today, I have great news for you. But if you think you're a pretty good person who messes up sometimes, I don't have good news for you. You think Jesus is a, is a crutch that other people need, but you've pretty much got life all figured out? I don't have good news for you. Because Jesus only saves sinners. And all of life is one big masquerade at times trying to convince ourselves of something that's not true. That we're okay. I told this story many years ago, but I remember one of the hardest moments of my, of my life recently that I can remember. I was talking to my son, Ezra. Um, we talk about the gospel um, at times, often. Um, and I asked him, hey, do you, do you know Jesus? He said, yeah. You know, well, okay, even the demons know Jesus, so I got to press a little further. I asked him, if you were to die right now, Ezra, he's maybe five or six at the time. I said, if you were to die right now and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Man, he says something. I'm trying not to cry thinking about it. It broke my heart because I realized I messed up. He said, because I'm a pretty good kid. Well, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. I'm a pretty good person. I, I keep all the rules. I do more good than bad, and I preach this gospel week in and week out, and my own son missed it. Not his fault, mine. Somehow I could confuse morality with redemption. I had confused goodness with God transforming the heart of man. I'd use the gospel to teach him to follow my rules. Instead of the gospel that redeems, it makes all things new. We may not be five and six and seven years old, but some of us still believe that lie today. We read verses like this and we struggle because we've been taught our whole lives to not be sinners and to not be sick, or at least pretend to be that way. And so we see Jesus only coming for the people that we're pretending not to be our whole lives and we struggle. but there's hope. Verse 33. Then they said to him, the disciples trying to trick Jesus, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. So John the Baptist's disciples, those who are following him, are are fasting and, and sacrificing and doing all the religious rituals, and so are the Pharisees, but the people who are following you are having way too much fun. 
And Jesus says something that may be a little hard to understand, but I'm going to unpack it, but I want us to hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. And then he told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts on an, on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. Verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Pause for just a moment. Now, I'm not going to assume that all of us know how to make wine, but there's some millennials in the room. We spend way too much time on YouTube, so there's probably a couple. So don't get mad at me. I'm going to explain this process, and I might miss a step. Don't email me. But for those of us who don't know how to make wine, it's a, it's a process of fermentation. We take a, a lot of things, different types of fruits, depending on how you want to flavor it, and it has to be fermented. And so in this time, they use animal skins made into pouches. But the fermentation process releases gas over that time. And so the pouch would slowly expand, and the, the cow skin would stretch and stretch and stretch, and then finally deflate, and it would be ready. But the problem was you couldn't then pour out the wine and then put in a new batch into that old wineskin. Why? Because the skin had already been stretched to its limit, and if it went through that process again, it would tear. And so new wine required new wineskin. Why is Jesus talking about making wine? You see, the religious leaders at the time are angry at Jesus. They've already tried to kill him once, we saw last week, and they're going to try to kill him again, and finally they're going to be successful, at least they think. And the reason why Jesus causes so much frustration amongst the religious leaders and the reason why he's talking about wine are the same thing. He's saying, I am trying to do a new thing, but all you've got is the old religion. See, you're looking for a king and an army. But I'm a king of a kingdom that you can't see and that extends beyond the borders of Jerusalem. And they couldn't reconcile the two. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus is talking about this parable is because he is saying, I am the new wine and I won't fit into your religious paradigm. Y'all, how many people, I'm gonna get real personal for a second. How many people in the last year and a half, and I'm not gonna ask you to explain this or qualify this in any way, but how many people in this room right now have felt a sense from the Spirit of the Lord to go deeper? And you don't even know what that means. Just raise your hand real quick. Just a few, right? You felt like God wanted more. You don't even know what that means. Let me give you a glimpse of what it could mean. It could mean God wants to do something new, but he's, gotta, he's asking you to throw out those old wineskins. Not sin in your life, necessarily but just the routine and the rituals that you have established that have honestly got you this far. Those are good things that you've been doing up to this point that God wants to say, I want to do more. And so you're going to need new categories. You've been reading the Bible in the morning for for five minutes a day, checking the box, feeling good about that. Praise the Lord. It's brought you this far. But if you want to go farther, you got to go deeper. Now I'm reading the scriptures not to check the box. I'm reading the scriptures looking for Jesus. Now I'm not praying just for the needs around me. I'm praying for God's kingdom to rule and reign in me. Deeper. We've got to throw away those old wineskins. There are some of us who come from high church backgrounds. I'm not going to actually raise your hand. And there's a comfort to the liturgy, is there not? 
the hymns and the ordinances and the routine and the rituals, those are not bad things. One of my dearest friends in the world is the pastor of an Anglican church right here in Charleston. We have great debates, by the way. Um, but he's a good, dearly loved friend of mine. I've been at his house. He's been at mine. Our kids have played together. He's a true friend. I'm not saying those things are bad, but there can be an alluring comfort to the ritual of Christianity and not the relationship with Jesus. You can be fooled into thinking, we can be fooled into thinking that we are okay with God because we have checked all the boxes. We stood up, we sat down, we said the hymn, we took the sacrament, we did confession, we did all these things, and so God must be pleased because I followed all the rules. Jesus is saying that's the old wineskin. The new wine, the gospel of the kingdom won't fit there. And so we all have to be willing to throw out those old wineskins in order for us to do and experience the new thing that God wants to do. And I don't know what that means for you, but North Charleston will not be transformed by programs or churches. It will be transformed by transformed people in programs and churches. That's how God works. That's what the kingdom is. It's people who submit to the rule and reign of God's perfect desires in every way. And that's what brings transformation. But in order for us to get there, church, we have to get there individually. Praise God for those who give sacrificially to the ministries of Radiant Church. Praise God who those who serve sacrificially in the ministries of Radiant Church. But don't use your serving and your giving as an excuse to not submit personally for where God wants you to be active, redeeming those things around you, being an active agent of the kingdom in your home, at your job, in your community. Because that's what the kingdom really is. It's not a form or a structure or a place. It's a people. None of those things are bad, but sometimes they can get in the way of us seeing Jesus and being in relationship with him, not just loving all the rituals around him. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.